Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We're going to talk about money today. And all of God's people said, I should have stayed home, that's what you said. Yeah, so we continue our series, and you see the banners up, these beautiful banners that are walking us through, reminding us of our discipleship series as we ask the question, as we consider what it means to be a disciple as a United Methodist. And it's all about becoming disciples. And say it with me, a disciple is a follower of Jesus whose life is centering on loving God and loving others. We want to follow in this way of Jesus Christ, to experience the life that is offered by this following here and now and then forevermore. And so a big point of focus in the United Methodist Church is grace. Oh, we love grace in the UMC. We talk about grace a lot. We depend upon God's grace. Grace, it's so needed. Thank you, yes, it is. It's grace that brought us here today. It's grace that will lead us onward. It is grace that we need to embody as a disciple out into the world. We talked about prayer, knowing where it is we come from and where it is we're headed, and routinely, daily, hourly, reminding ourselves of our calling and our identity to center ourselves so that we can live our lives from that that center. Presence, we need to be together. Christianity is not a solitary life. It is not a solo game. It requires community. And we get so much from community. Whether it's a large gathering for worship, whether it's a small group gathering to learn and grow together in in Bible study or in sharing and connection for support and healing, community is important. It matters. We need community. It's a priority. And so today we talk about gifts, giving especially financial gifts. And so we're going to hear from Paul in his letter to Timothy. We're going to hear what John Wesley had to say. And then we're going to talk about our own lives in giving. Paul, in the letter to Timothy, is written to a protege. Timothy's his protege. Paul has been traveling around Asia Minor, always on the road, going in and, and preaching this news about Jesus, often in the synagogues, and then And then maybe he'd get kicked out because it didn't quite line up with their understanding. Can you imagine a person getting kicked out of a congregational setting because they're saying something that doesn't jive? Yeah. So we don't don't look at the synagogues and say, how dare they? Because it happens. But then Paul would usually go and start talking and people would follow and say, tell me more. And Paul would establish these communities, and then he'd go on after he established it. And then he'd write back and forth with them, helping them along the way. And so Timothy's learning how to do this too. Timothy's been following Paul, watching Paul, and now needs Paul's guidance. And so there's a letter directly to Timothy to help in this process. And so it's a six-chapter letter, and as we number it. And in the last chapter, Paul spent some time talking about finances, because apparently that was a struggle then too. It's a struggle with finances. People have a strong temptation with money. Are you with me? It's not just me, right? Okay, good. Um, And so Paul talks about contentment earlier in the chapter. To be content 
Maybe you have a little, maybe you have a lot. If you have what you need, be content. Pretty simple. If you don't have what you need, well, that's what the church is for. And it's good days. And if you have more than you need, then give it away and be a blessing. Help those who don't have what they need. Think about how God is calling you to live for the day, trusting that you'll have your daily bread. God's got the future, got the past. Be content. And he finishes it uh, with saying, if you live into the confusion of what I need versus what I want, and if you live beyond contentment, he says, it's a life, uh, it's full of dangerous and foolish lusts. And he says, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so Paul then continues in our passage today, verses 17 and 18. Tell people who are rich at this time not to become egotistical and not to place their hope on their finances, which are uncertain. Instead, they need to hope in God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in the good things they do, to be generous and to share with others. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We're going to focus in when he says, don't set your hope on something as uncertain as riches or money. A good recession will bring that message to light really quick. Money is uncertain. We forget. We forget that we were born into this world without a dime on us, and we're going to pass away from this life, and we can't take anything with us. Everything in between is a gift from God. And I know that there's the narrative of, well, I've worked hard. I've earned everything I have. But even your ability to earn, was it not a gift? Were you not given the capacity mentally, physically, given the connections that you had, whatever it is? You work hard. Sure, that's great. Not everyone has those gifts and ability to work hard and to earn. And, and so even then, we can see that everything we have is a gift entrusted to us. Um, so when Paul talks about the uncertainty of money, we think about recessions. We know that even if you do everything right, you make all the responsible decisions, you do work hard, you save, you build up this nest egg to have financial security, you know, like so many have, and several times in some of your lives, a recession hits and suddenly this nest egg of security is gone. We're going to have more recessions. It happens. Money is uncertain. Amen? Amen. So, while money be, may be uncertain, Paul says God is not. God is not uncertain. And so we, we need to put our faith and trust, our direction, and what God has to say. And so the final line of our passage today is something very similar to John Wesley. Paul says, rich people, people with means or us, we're to do good. To be rich in good works, generous and eager to share. John Wesley says it this way, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Wesley made all sorts of money with his writings. Wesley was not poor. Wesley brought in all sorts of wealth. He and his brother who wrote hymn books, and they, they accrued a lot. The Methodists were good savers. If you work really hard, which John Wesley preached, work hard, waste not save all you can, they, they accrued massive amounts of wealth. But they also then built churches. They built 
things for those who were in financial need. They bought food. They took care of people. They sent missionaries. They, they invested that money beyond themselves or a bank account. The Methodists brought in great riches, and they gave away great riches. And in 1744, Wesley wrote this, When I die, if I leave behind me ten pounds, and all mankind can bear witness against me, that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. Wesley was serious about stewardship and finances. When he died in 1791, the only money mentioned in his will was the miscellaneous coins to be found in his pockets and a dresser drawer. Wesley never condemns money. It's the love of money, just like Paul. The worship of money. Our decisions to let money dictate our actions or to determine if we should be afraid or feel secure. There's nothing evil about money. Nothing evil about a piece of paper, right? They're pretty neat little pieces of paper. God provides generously in many ways to all of us. Money is one of the ways. The money is not the problem. The problem is often our love of money. And so I think of money as a great tool, right? There's another tool behind me. A great tool can do wonderful things. And those of you who have needed a chainsaw have been thankful to have it. But if you don't know how to operate this tool, it can do great damage, can it not? If you don't know how to properly work with this tool, you can cause great harm. Money is no different. Our culture uh, gives us lots of opportunities to use it the wrong way. And we have a penchant to follow because it feels good to have, have things, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with the things. It's our relationship. I mean, we want things. We want multiple cars. We want to have fine foods and clothing. We want to take expensive trips. We want the luxuries of this world. We all do. We all want to have more money, if we're honest. Yes? Maybe you just want a little bit more. Or maybe you want a lot more. But we all want more. In our culture, you can be Christian or you cannot, and it doesn't really affect your ability to function in our culture right? But in our culture, you're going to struggle mightily if you don't participate in the system of production and consumption. We really stick it hard to people who don't produce up to standards and who don't consume up to standards. To illustrate it, consider our community or maybe your community where you're from. There are people around you who do not have faith in Jesus Christ, who do not participate in our faith. We don't have much urgency about this reality, do we? Really? Do you find yourself awake at night worried about this? Do you find yourself thinking about how you can be more prosperous in sharing the gospel? We're going to talk more about this in two weeks. But in the same community, if you find out that there are people who are not working, if there are people living off of government assistance, not producing, suddenly we develop all sorts of feelings about this reality. Amen? Have you had a conversation recently where you were as passionate about sharing the gospel as you were about social policy involving those who were not producing and consuming? Have you invested the same amount of energy growing in your faith as you have growing in your wealth and finances? It's a good question. It's a common situation in our culture, and it's not just our culture. Paul's culture. John Wesley's culture, but our culture is not exempt. It's important to take account regularly and ask these kinds of questions 
about our relationship with money. Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount saying, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You love one and hate the other, or you serve the one and you hate the other. You cannot serve both. Now, mammon is a particular word, kind of references a pagan god of the time, the god of abundance. Mammon was a personification of what it is that we worship. It's appropriate to personify wealth and finances because its power and influence over us is real. And the draw we feel to serve mammon is very strong. It's everywhere we look, it's everywhere we go, and if we're honest and we think about it, it's probably in a lot of the conversations we have. In fact, our entire system here in our culture depends upon producing and consuming. Buy a new phone, even if your phone works fine. They'll even keep updating things so that your phone becomes obsolete. Even though it works fine, they'll make you buy a new one. They need you to buy a new one. When the World Trade Center tragedy occurred, the response was, here's a check, go shop. Buy new clothes for the new fashion, even if your clothes are fine. Now, if your production increases, you're expected to match it with your consumption. So if you get that promotion, you should probably get a new car. If you filled your house with things, you should probably buy a bigger one. And they'll, in fact, tell you at the bank, they'll tell you the max amount they'll approve you for, and they'll zero in on that number because they want you to invest the max amount. Mammon is powerful. And the truth of the matter is, many of us are serving mammon either a little or a lot. We live beyond our needs. Some of us live beyond our means, which is an entirely different situation. And Bob and Kathy Waterman would love to tell you about Financial Peace University and Dave Ramsey in a way to get out from under that kind of weight. But even if your debt is minimum, do you solely live on what you need? How would your money habits compare to John Wesley's, to Paul's? Or to Jesus's. Notice Jesus, anytime he talks about money, the first thing he says is, give me a coin, because he doesn't have one on him. This isn't a guilt thing, friends, okay? This isn't a guilt thing. This is an attempt for us to take account of ourselves because we want to be in a life of discipleship, yes? We want the kind of freedom that Paul shares and expresses and talks about when it comes to finances. We want to make the kind of impact in our culture that John Wesley did in the early Methodist movement, yes? We want to stand confidently here and now and say we do not serve mammon, but God alone. So the question then is what is standing in your way? What is keeping you from walking the path of discipleship? And where is your next step towards freedom? We practice tithing in the UMC. This is not about the church accumulating money. We are a nonprofit. We are not here to make money. It's not, what, it's not what it's about. Rather, we tithe as an expression of our joy and our gratitude and our freedom in Jesus Christ. That God gives us things and we get to share it. We get to put it to the right kind of use. So a tithe is 10%. That's what the word means. Tithe means tenth. An offering Another word we use is anything above and beyond that 10%. So we talk about collection of tithes and offerings. And I know talking about tithing brings a mixture of responses in our hearts. Some of you are excited to hear me talk about tithing. 
because you know the joy that it brings, and you'd like to see other people trust and participate and experience that kind of joy. And some of you are not joyful (laughs) because, I don't know, you think I'm judging you, God's judging you, people are judging you, you think that if you don't tithe, you should feel guilty about it, you could feel deeply offended when people want to talk about it, and I get it. I truly get it. I'm not a lifetime tither. Money is deeply personal, especially in our culture. The reason the tithe was created is for a couple things. It helps us to know with God when enough is enough. Do you ever wonder, am I good enough? Am I Christian enough? Am I gracious enough with people? Did I forgive enough? Was I merciful enough? And the question then comes up, am I giving enough? The tithe is the way that, way that we know we give enough. It comes from biblical stories where Abraham or others gave a tenth in some tribute. 10% is also an equalizer. If you have little, you'll give little. If you have a lot, you'll give a lot. But whether little or a lot, it's enough. Tithing involves giving your first 10%, not your last. That was a shift for me, a big one. Giving to God first rather than if I have enough left over. Because I will find ways to think of things that I need and suddenly not have it. Amen? Anybody with me on that? If you think I'm talking about this so you'll give money to this church and that's not sitting right with you, then don't give money to this church. Find a way to tithe in a way that you feel is actually doing what God wants you to do, that you do feel right about it. If you're not a tither yet and you aren't sure you can just go from zero to 10%, I get that too. Don't do that. For Lauren and I, we, we took steps and we gradually increased until we were able to give the 10%. So I invite you to consider your own next step. Not for what it does for us who receive or who receives, but what it does for you. How it helps you establish a good relationship with money and the way that God is calling you to live in relationship with money. As you consider where you'd like to be in your relationship with God and money, the author of our study invites us to think of it through a lens of stewardship. He says, when you look at your money, you're not deciding what you want to give to God. Look at what God has given you, and you're deciding how much you're going to keep. And I'll add to that, and you also get to decide what to do with the money you get to give away, what kind of good it can do, what kind of things speak to your heart, what calls you. Because the things that call you may not call those that are sitting next to you. And if we're all doing our part, I have full faith that if we all gave 10%, if we tithed in whatever way we did, there wouldn't be a lot of problems in our culture. And that's it, friends. That's the story. Everything we have is a gift. If we bow down to mammon and gear our lives to work for the sake of wealth and finances, we are setting our hope on uncertainty. Living into discipleship with our giving offers us joy, contentment, and freedom. And the last part is that you can only know when you do it. You will always, always experience an abundance of blessing when you live with a generous I challenge you to find somebody who tithes, who cannot attest to that truth. In our life of discipleship, wherever you're at, remember, it's a journey, it's a path. We're just talking about the next step. In our life of discipleship, Jesus 
leads us into the joy, into the freedom of living life, of generosity in every way. We follow Christ. So let Jesus lead you in every part of your life, including your financial life. Follow Jesus' way more and more every day and give mammon less and less of your heart and devotion. Enter into this path through your gifts and experience the blessings that always come. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you entrust us. And Lord, when I look at my own heart, I wonder, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure you want to trust me? But you do. You're so good. You're so merciful. You empower us. You equip us. And you give us so much grace. But I ask that you help us to see what the next step is. We cannot climb a mountain in one step. So what is the step for us? Help us to be confident in taking that step. Help us to be mindful of where we've been, where we're going, who we are and whose we are, and that everything is a gift from you. So Lord, help us to be good stewards and may we experience the blessing of that generous life. And in Christ's name, I ask all these things. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.